Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. All right. So today on Habits and Hustle, we have, this is a a special episode because I have a friend of mine just who, she, she so happens to be one of the smartest ladies I know. She is a medical doctor who specializes in nutrition. And interestingly enough, there aren't many in, in the country who do that. There are like several, you said a few hundred of them, which is so surprising. You would think that that would be something that kind of correlates, especially now with how nutrition is becoming much more well-known as something that helps with disease and so on. So what does that mean? Like, how many are you? Like, how many? Yeah, I mean, at last count, it was it was less than 300 that were board certified. So that means, you know, that you've taken a test to really establish that you're an expert in all aspects of nutrition. But it's one of the biggest tragedies. And I have been lobbying in this country uh, for actually the last decade to introduce more physician nutrition education in medical school, because Nutrition plays a role in every single disease in the body. There is a nutrition component, whether it's prevention, treatment, management, optimizing health with any condition. And so it really is, it's, it's very, it's, it's a major tragedy that this is not more front and center in medical education and also medical practice. And sadly, a lot of it has just has to do with uh, that doctors aren't trained and so then they don't do it and then insurance companies don't cover it. And it's, it's like this vicious cycle, but I believe it's contributing tremendously to the morbidity. So diseases that people are getting in this country. I mean, we know that 88% of pre-diabetics can be reversed with lifestyle changes, including diet and exercise. 88%. I mean, diabetes is costing us billions of dollars. So this is this is the fact that it's not more important in the medical community is really, you know, it, it's a tragedy. I'm, maybe with COVID, things will change because I think there has been more of an emphasis on the concept of food as medicine and that mm-hmm. lifestyle really can play a role. Uh, but it's it's going to be a long road to get, you know, more physicians really involved in this and, and educated so that they can, you know, oversee teams. I mean, that's what it is. The physician may, I have a very unique practice. I love sitting and talking to patients every single day about what they're eating, what their medical problems are. So I I, I spend a lot of time one-on-one. It's not cost-effective, but for me, it's emotionally effective. And you know what? I learn something with every single patient that I see. There's some different variable that makes it interesting that I go back to the medical journals and try to figure stuff out from a nutrition standpoint. So I love it. I mean, I, I, I think it's the best specialty in medicine and it's on the forefront of prevention rather than treatment. So it's really flipping the paradigm of what doctors do to not just treat disease, but to act sooner and prevent it. I mean, that's, that's, that's so well said. And you are, it is a hundred percent true. I know we met because we did a a TV show together many, many years ago. We did Dr. Drew's Life Changers. And what we were doing basically had um, 
uh, a young girl who was uh, morbidly obese, she right? She was 417 pounds at 15 years old. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And you went above and beyond uh, to, to help her. And it was so it was it was really nice to see. And so I know what you when you say it's not cost effective because you do spend you, you care about your patients. You really take real pride in your work and you really want to see a change. And so, I mean, I, I, that's why I have such respect for you. And I'm so happy that you're here. Um, you've written now two books. Well, the two books that were t- the first book was called Spice Up, Slim Down. I know you've written other ones, but you wrote now another one to kind of a revised version of it called Spice Up, Live Long, which you talk about how spices can really enhance and help disease in all cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's. Um, and I want to get into all of this because to your point, I think there's a lot of um, medical experts um, or, you know, pseudo medical experts who come out and talk about this, that, the other. But you really you've done you've done your homework. And I think this is a really, really good way to kind of educate people to help themselves. So let's start with just overall aging, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's how the book started. So I had written Spice Up, Slim Down um, five years ago because I've been obsessed with the concept of polyphenols, which is a plant-based component that is actually in our BLK water that we love so much. <laughs> yes, but, exactly. Um, that, uh, and, and at the time, my practice, my practice has always been um, weight focus, but then I end up focusing on a lot of the diseases associated with weight. So we call them cardiometabolic diseases. That's heart, that's diabetes, that's stroke. And it expands from there. I see a lot of patients with autoimmune disease. Anyway, so I've been implementing the idea of food as medicine for two decades in my practice, in my medical practice. But, you know, the first book, you know, focusing on slimming down, that was the hook, you know? I mean, to be honest, I, I wanted people to read this this book. And because spices aren't that sexy. I mean, the Spice Girls were, but spices <laughs> in your kitten, kitchen no, cabinet are, well, whatever. Okay. That, that's, that's debatable. Whatever. Thing, that's, a whole, that's a whole nother I'm podcast. Joking. I'm no, joking. I'm exactly. um, So, you know, but, but the reality is, and I, I do a lot of speaking across the country on the topic of food as medicine. And one of the lectures that I did about five years ago was the secrets of aging gracefully. And, and just that there's, because Aging, I mean, look at us. I mean, we, did you ever, I'm 51 years old. I never in a million years thought that this would be me. Like when I was young, 51 seemed old. Like I just remember people looking old, acting old, slowing down. And, And now I feel like, Age is just a state of mind and, and, but you do have to do the work, uh, with diet and exercise and a few other things I talk about in the new book in terms of stress management and building community. And there's so many other aspects of it. But for me, it's not just about living longer. It's about living better. So I talk in the book, not just about your lifespan, but also your health span. Because nobody wants to get to 90 or 100 and be, you know, drooling and slobbering and not cognizant and a burden to their family. So what can we do to age gracefully, to look better, feel better, and, you know, prevent diseases that are traditionally associated with aging? And I think, you know, cancer and Alzheimer's are two of the big ones that people fear the most. I mean, I, I I certainly that's do. what I do too. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, the idea of your mind slowly disappearing, like the, when I was in medical school, the patients in the psych ward that had lost their mind were, were some of the 
hardest to deal with because they just, they just don't connect with reality. And, and the idea of that happening and then having to be around your family, like that terrifies me. And then of course, cancer is just terrifying to everybody because it's so unknown. And as advanced as we've gotten, there's still a lot that we can't do and cure. So that's why prevention is for me, the key. And, uh, the irony about the book is that I don't cook much. <laughs> so, uh, this is like a caveat much. Yeah. yeah. Much dot, dot, dot. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm very good at making reservations <laughs> and defrosting things. Um, but you know, I, I just realized like for me, let's call me a lazy, untalented cook. And that's probably generous. Um, one of our mutual friends actually wanted me to do a show with her, like worst cooks in America where a real chef pairs up because <laughs> I was like calling her. I, I literally did not know how to boil an egg like the duration of time and all that stuff. But that's a whole nother story. That's a whole other story. No, but the idea that, so just in your spice cabinet, you could do tiny things that could have a huge impact on your health. And I'm a big believer in also not making people's lives more complicated and more difficult. I don't think being healthy should be a full-time job that you're constantly obsessed with, right? So if I can just get people to put a little bit of oregano on their eggs, or I put cinnamon in my coffee every morning, like really low-hanging fruit. But if you do that every day over years, and I talk about this in the new book, you really can increase your lifespan and your health span, which in my opinion is even more important. I don't even care when I go. I just want to be like ski racing and I want to look decent and I want to feel good. And I want to be able to have lively conversations with amazing people like you. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I, that's what I think. I think is very important. The quality is sometimes more important than the quantity. So let's get into um, some that you speak about in, in your new book about what are, like you said, oregano, cinnamon, um, what are some other things that we can, we can do to, to age better? Uh, and also what are the doses? Because I know it's all accumulative, right? right. If you do it a little bit every day, the consistency, it, it accumulates, but give us some, give us some other examples and what yeah. exactly it does. Okay. So cinnamon, let's start with cinnamon. And no, no, no. Let, let me talk about spices uh, and herbs overall okay. first, because I think that's one thing that is And it trickles down to everything else. And I also, I'm going to kind of outline kind of what I feel aging gracefully entails. Um, So first of all, the, the wonderful thing about all spices is that they're very potent antioxidants and they can also help your body reduce inflammation. Why do we need antioxidants? As you age, first of all, you're naturally producing in Every time your muscle twitches, any utilization of oxygen in your body, which every system uses, actually produces free radicals. So that's free radicals can damage cells. They can cause, we now know that, you know, a lot heart attacks don't happen because of the gradual accumulation of cholesterol in the arteries. It's actually an acute event, which, you know, antioxidants and inflammation that acutely block off an artery. So, uh, all of these things are pro-oxidants, oxidative stress to the arteries, which actually causes loss of flexibility and that sort of thing in the arteries. But so having an antioxidant rich diet, and I think it's even more important in modern times for two reasons. A, because our soil quality has deteriorated so much over the last 50 years that even if you ate the recommended, whatever it is, five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables every day, you may actually not be getting 
the nutrients that you need. And, and polyphenols are a big part of that story. Um, but also we are constantly, we are exposed to oxidative stress more in our present day. So even from, you know, the environment, from pollution, from the water we drink, from the beverages that we drink, from the, you know, plastics that are leaching it, from the cans, from, you know, the toxic food that we eat, like ultra processed food, it causes oxidative stress. So we are really under attack almost all the time. So having an antioxidant rich diet and fruits and vegetables are a great way to do that. But, and, and things like green tea and our, but, you know, you can augment that with any herb or spice. So that's number one, antioxidant to augment. And then that protects your cells from damage. So from, and that's, you know, some theories about the initiation of cancer is that it's oxidative stress, which causes damage to a cell or to DNA, and then it reproduces and goes over and over. So this, the importance of that, and, and there's theories also about Alzheimer's, early stages of Alzheimer's being due to oxidative stress in the brain. So any way that we can augment our antioxidant status um, is, is you useful. Um, and then inflammation. And I, I have been talking about inflammation. It's so funny because now it's more in the prime yeah. time. It's I super popular now. I've literally been it. lecturing on it for 15 years. I have been talking about <laughs> inflammation. I can show you my lectures from 2007 right. where, but inflammation now we know really has head to toe deleterious effects on the body. I mean, you know, every system, your, your brain, your gut, your, you know, limbs, your nerves. I mean, every system in the body is in some way affected by this low grade chronic inflammation, not the acute inflammation that you use to fight infection. So spices and herbs have the potential to, they work, you know, biochemically to regulate inflammatory pathways. And and so that those two antioxidant and fighting inflammation is why really, you know, and I, I like to focus on all spices. Like everybody always wants me to narrow it down. Yeah, to one say, give, me the, give me the few that yeah, are yeah. super powerful. Okay, well, I will give you, I will give you some, uh, so all spices and herbs. So, you know, have what you like, but if I had to choose, first of all, everybody talks about turmeric. I mean, obviously that's a big one. The active ingredient curcumin uh, has you like, thousands of published studies about it. I think mostly, most importantly, when it comes to brain health. And it's interesting because when you look at the population of like Northern India, they eat a lot of curries and they have four times less Alzheimer's disease. So is that a direct evidence? But one of the theories is because they have so much more curcumin in their diet that actually that reduces their risk of Alzheimer's disease. But turmeric also has actually been shown to be therapeutic in inflammatory bowel disease. So things like Crohn's disease, and it may actually be beneficial. A lot of people, including our mutual friend now, <laughs> Ryan, are actually taking turmeric for their joints. So there's some research on that. And osteoarthritis, by the way, which unfortunately I have, is one of the really most debilitating diseases of aging. Like we don't think about it, but these people, arthrit arthritis becomes like a vicious cycle. So they can't exercise, they can't move, so they gain weight, and yeah. then their arthritis 
arthritis gets worse and it's a vicious cycle. So um, turmeric is definitely something that you should try to integrate as much as possible. I have a really hard time with the flavor of it. Like, I don't know what to do with it. Again, maybe that's just my, you know, cluelessness in the kitchen. But so, but you can get blends. You could get, that's what I think is so great. There's all these great spice companies online um, that are making spice blends that have turmeric in them. So that's an easy way to amp up your diet. I think cayenne pepper um, is tremendous. There was actually one of the studies I talk about early in my book, but um, they looked at, it was a study done in China, 14,000 people over years and years and years. And those with the spiciest diet had the like 16% decreased risk of dying from any cause just from spices. So cayenne pepper is very interesting. Um, it has the active ingredient capsaicin can actually give you a little bit of a metabolic boost, um, which is great because one of the things associated with aging that I see all the time in my practice is change in body composition. And I talk, you may have the same weight, but how your weight is distributed is completely different. So there's something called sarcopenia, which is age, accelerated muscle loss of aging. So avoiding that is very important. And then avoiding the accumulation of what we call visceral adiposity. So not the fat that you can pinch, the fat that's deep in your abdominal cavity that is actually very inflammatory and has been so associated with diabetes and heart disease and Alzheimer's disease and, and worse prognosis with different types of cancer. So, um, Body composition is really important as we age as well. So cayenne pepper, it, you know, I don't think that it's completely irrelevant to get a little bit of a metabolic boost. And right. and cayenne's so easy, you you got to be careful because right. it's spicy. spicy. I did uh, with my kids. I accidentally <laughs> put a little too much in their eggs, and that didn't go well. But um, uh, but it, you know, that you can. I mean, you could put that in canned soup. Just put a pinch of cayenne. So that one's great. And. Uh, contrary to what people think, it actually, there's some evidence that capsaicin can actually help ulcers heal. So people think of spicy food, oh, they're not supposed to eat spicy food when they have ulcers. But there's some evidence that the capsaicin act actually activates cells in the gut that can help with healing of ulcers. So um, I, I think I, I'm a big fan of, of capsaicin, of, of chili pepper. And you can, if you don't like heat, if you don't like spicy food, you can get it from chili powder which is great in chili mm -hmm, recipes. Right. You can get it from um, paprika. Uh, the, there's a lot of related spices that I talk about in the book. Um, so those are two. Cinnamon is easy. Everybody knows how to use it. Just get, I mean, I use it for everything in baking and my coffee and this and that. I mean, you know, anything that I can integrate it. Um, it's very, it's a very powerful antioxidant. It's very good for blood sugar control. You know, a, a, a huge percentage of the population is pre-diabetic and two thirds of them don't even know it. So, I mean, don't think that just, it, it, it's extraordinary. Healthcare in this country, that's a whole nother podcast, no, but it's, we're doing it's it next pathetic. actually. That's you? my next yeah. podcast. Oh, well, good. Yeah, that would be interesting because <laughs> yeah. uh, the state of healthcare. But um, so cinnamon is a tremendous one. You know, I, I, oregano I love because it, it's, uh, you know, I also like things that are easy to use. And oregano is great. It's good for the gut. I mean, I, it's hard to narrow it down. Rosemary is a phenomenal antioxidant. It's good. Do you know Napoleon actually used to bathe in baths of rosemary because his physician told him it was the key to uh, longer 
life. So, and there's truth to that. So rosemary is, it's incredible for the skin. Um, you know, it's a very potent antioxidant, can protect you from uh, skin cancer. I mean, not better than sunscreen, but right. as an adjunct, I wear sunscreen all the time and I still had a skin cancer. That's another thing with aging. I mean, most people over a certain age have skin cancer on some level. So spices, we know nutmeg actually activates proteins in the skin, in the dermal layer that actually help with repair and reversal of collagen loss. So it may actually help you. I'm going to write that one down. Yeah, nutmeg nutmeg is my new, my new best friend. Start yeah. adding nutmeg wherever you add cinnamon. Yeah. These sweet spices. That's why I like blends. Actually, you could just use pumpkin spice, which is which a I blend love. of nut, nutmeg and cloves and, you know, cinnamon. So there's all these easy things that you can do with spices. Yeah. So, and, and that's what I like about this. It's very, you can integrate it super, super easy. Um, now, okay, wait, because I want to just uh, kind of kind of uh, ask you a couple of questions, what you said. Number one, when you're saying all these spices, number one, is it better to do fresh if you can, or is dry just as effective? Because some people say dry is even better. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the the idea, uh, Really, there's benefits to both. So the fresh herbs are going to have more... Um, uh, like vitamin C, little things like that in them, whereas the, those get dried out. But in some cases, um, you know, the dried herbs, you're right, are a more concentrated form of, you know, all of the powerful nutrients, the, the polyphenols right. that are so health promoting. So, you know, I, I really encourage people to go with what they like. It's also much more of a pain in the butt to use yeah, fresh herbs because like for me, and this is what, when I was working on the book, I was trying to get this chef to help me, but because I love cilantro, in guacamole, but I always buy a big bunch and I only use half of it. And then I have no idea what to do with the other half. Right. So it just sits and molds in my refrigerator or I buy, you know, uh, fresh dill and, you know, for eggs, it's great in eggs. And, and then, you know, I used like a few sprigs of it and then I have no idea what else to do. And then it just goes bad. So yeah, exactly. I personally, except for cilantro and basil, I have a basil plant on my window that mm. I'll just, I'll just grab it. I'll throw it into like a turkey wrap or something instead of lettuce. I mean, yeah. those two I find, you know, fresh is uh, obviously with, you know, cilantro, you have to get it fresh because coriander, which is actually the seed of the cilantro plant, doesn't have the same flavor profile. So, um, so but, people are fine if they have the dry. It's, it's just as effective anyway. Both. Yeah, but, but that's a difference between herbs and spices. So right. an herb is a leaf. And then spices are from every other part of the plant, the root, the seed, the fruit. Um, so the only time you can really, well, I guess to, no, you can, like, you can get turmeric roots and ginger roots. I'm, I'm not That's that what motivated. I do. You I do? Yeah. So I was buying for a long, long time. I was making myself uh, ginger turmeric tea. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And I was buying the fresh turmeric. It made such a mess though, because it, it stains yeah. so, so terribly. Like my counters were stained, my clothes were stained, my fingers were stained. It was a nightmare. And then someone someone said to me, like, why are you bothering? You can just do the same with the powder. It's right. just as it's just as effective. So I stopped doing it. But I assumed that because it's a fresh it, the root would be would be better not for necessarily you. It's more powerful no. and be more potent but yeah. it's not no actually in, in the case of turmeric and ginger both i think the the spice would be more potent um for sure so uh and and ginger is a really interesting one too by the way because i know you know we think of ginger as being for nausea you right. know ginger ale when you for were sick stomach, yeah. morning sickness i don't know if you had that or did anything but um but uh ginger actually it, a study showed and this is i actually like the idea of teas too and so so mm -hmm. I do, but having ginger tea before a meal can actually make you fuller faster. 
in that wow, subsequent yeah. meal. So um, I'm a big fan of ginger tea. I think it's easier to drink. Actually, uh, gin, there's a I found a ginger turmeric tea blend. So you're getting all the yeah. same active ingredients. And, you know, I, I probably should have included tea in the title of this because you really can get a lot of these things in tea form as well, which, you know, again, makes it easier. I'm all about making people's life easier right. and healthier. Like every little thing really adds up. Absolutely. Again, it's all it's all being consistent and, and it's all accumulative. So wait, you said something I also um, I find I was curious about why is it that as we age, we do gain weight in our midsection and that becomes like the really hard area to, to fight? Is there? Well, with women, there's a hormonal reason. So I, I, I say that I used to say this a lot, like we have a shift from our fat from the butt to the gut. Yeah, and that wonderful. is yeah, that's all I need to hear. That's very much uh, <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. That's that's very that Yeah. Oh. That's very related to um that's related great. to hormonal changes, you know. So drops in estrogen and increase in testosterone can lead to insulin resistance, more fat accumulation deep in your belly. But um, it's also related to, you know, the fact that people don't move as much when mm. they age. So loss of muscle, whether it's excess or just but people, you know, you just you. You just don't do as much physical as you age. You don't push yourself as much. My patients who are my age, you know, I'm like dropping down doing push-ups in the office and they're like, oh yeah, my physical therapist said I should just use bands. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's really going to build a lot of lean body mass. But no, I mean, it, it, it can, but obviously for, so, um, and so changes in the muscle actually, you know, and then inflammation, inflammation is a big part of belly fat. Right. So there's some things that we have under our control. You can control the amount of muscle that you preserve. You can control how much cardio you do to burn the visceral fat. It's very, the good thing about it is it's much more readily mobilized as a fuel source than fat from your butt and legs. Unfortunately for me, cause I would, I would have like stick legs, but um, yeah, it, well, I, I always get, my stomach goes first and then, you know, I have to like starve myself uh, well, to get okay, to well, the you, butt. You said a couple of things. Number one, there's always this, there's a back and forth about uh, uh, cardio versus strength training, right? So strength training, of course, it helps with building lean muscle mass, burning more calories overall, right? Because of you're building more muscle in your body, which then, of course, burns uh, more calories throughout the day, week, whatever. But you're, are you saying, what do you think about that? What's so your, there's not a controversy. Okay. Uh, the experts know what's right. And right. It's both. It, a it combination really it's a combination and i'll tell you i actually but I, I i go to the obesity meeting every year the obesity society has an annual meeting and i learn you know i don't learn that much usually because i've been in this field for 21 years now but i actually learned so i had i had thought about strength training exactly like you like over time i mean you know your daily your total energy expenditure mm -hmm. one of the components that you have the most control over is your lean body mass so building or maintaining lean body mass is really key. So long-term in weight loss, um, you know, it, it's strength training is as important. Um, but cardio in the short term in terms of burning calories, you know, if 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 my patients come to me and they say, you know, I'm listen, I, I'm barely work out, I'm only gonna do one or the other, um, I would start with cardio, you know, but but the strength training has to come in. And I believe like you do in building habits early on. But the other thing is right. there are actually some metabolic alterations within the muscle cell that I didn't realize there's changes in genetic expression within the muscle cells with where they can actually become uh, less efficient 
and burning calories, which is a good thing because then mm -hmm. it actually requires more calories. So it, it changes the type of muscle fibers can change. So strength training has some benefits, I think beyond what we perceive, mm -hmm. you know, just the sheer calorie burning of muscle. There's some very interesting new research coming out about the importance. And of course, body you know, like body composition. Yeah, it's, it, but, but there's some, you know, and this is, you know, the other interesting thing that hopefully we'll have time to talk to is, you know, the, the genetic side of things. Let's talk about that, that, yeah, it right now, because I think this is something that is very big and yeah. that genetics. So yes, that's a great segue. Well, yeah. So one of the areas in nutrition that I'm most interested in lately is nutrigenetics. So this is really kind of the genetic component of how our bodies respond to food, to nutrients, and even actually to muscle building. It's, it's, so I've been testing patients in my office and the interesting thing about it is that it, um, it really helps explain why there's so, in my opinion, why there's so much confusion out there with nutrition research. Mm -hmm. Because let's say I want to do a study on vitamin D to see if it's effective in preventing X, okay? Mm -hmm. And unbeknownst to me, 30% of the people in the study have a defect in the vitamin D receptor from a genetic cause that they don't respond to the same dose of vitamin D like the mm -hmm. other 70%. I could have I, a, a false negative that vitamin D doesn't work, but it's not because it's vitamin D. It's because those 30% actually needed a higher dose of vitamin D to overcome the genetic defect in the receptor. So it's it's very interesting. You know, there was a big study that came out a couple of years ago that was very publicized out of Stanford called the Diet Fit Study. And the authors came to the, it was a huge study, millions of dollars funded by the NIH. And they said, genetics doesn't work in dieting. It doesn't, but, but it was completely the wrong conclusion. First of all, I don't think it's ideal for weight loss. I think there's some ways where it helps me with my patients, but I'm more interested on the nutrition side and, you know, people that have, for example, it was very interesting. And even on the body composition side, yeah. I had a patient that was, he, you know, was really working out hard in the gym, doing everything that I told him from a nutrition standpoint, and he just wasn't gaining muscle like we both thought he should be. So after, and losing fat, by the way. So after about six months, um, I decided to do this genetic test on him that looks at both uh, different markers of, of both weight and nutrition and cardiometabolic disease and body composition. And he actually had a genetic defect that made it more difficult for him to accrue muscle uh, in, in, in a SNP. It's called a single nucleotide, uh, nucle nucleotide, I agree, SNP, let's just go with SNP, but it's single nucleotide polymorphism. So he, in his genetic code, he had, you know, a problem making, so- Is that common? No, it's not that common, but, but it's important to know. Yeah. And, and so then that's somebody that like, maybe I would put, be more aggressive with supplementation on the workouts. Maybe we would do different. We also found out it was very interesting because he was following a vegetarian diet, um, for no other reason than he thought it was healthy, mm -hmm. but he also had a, uh, genetic uh, defect in the SNP involved with B12 uptake. Oh. So B12 is one of the vitamins mm -hmm. that you can really only get from plant-based, uh, from animal-based sources and fortified foods. So he was really eating in, and he also had a third genetic variant, not defect, actually, I'll call them variant. That's the more appropriate terminology. He had a genetic variant that he needed a little bit, research has showed that if he ate a little bit more 
protein, mm -hmm. he would lose weight more effectively. So that's something he's on a vegetarian diet, which is generally lower in protein unless you supplement. He was at the enzyme, you know, the uh, variant where he wasn't absorbing B12 like he should and where he wasn't building muscle. So that's somebody in my book that needs more protein. It needs to be concentrated pre and post workout right. in order to maximize muscle protein synthesis. So his genetics helped me change everything. And, and so people, do I think that genetics is everything in terms of your fate? Absolutely not. I think lifestyle is 80% of the equation, if not more, but for subtle things like that, genetics can really help. And that's where we're moving is towards precision nutrition, precision medicine, not taking the one size fits all approach. That's, that's great to know. And number, so is that a test then? I've never heard of that. So if people are, and, and, like, and people need to have some self-awareness and like check themselves. And I, and in terms of if they really are doing the right things, like going, like working out appropriately and properly, uh, eating the right foods. And if they're still not seeing any type of change, do, do you recommend them checking this test, like doing this test? Well, first because of all, that I, could be something why morbidly obese or obese people who are trying listen, have a harder I, time. I think I've been doing weight management for 21 years now. I, I think there's a lot of supratentorial, which means it's above, it's in your head. There's a lot of that, of, of successful long-term weight loss. There is a huge mm -hmm. psychological component. And the longer I've been in this field, the more convinced I am of that. And, and what and is it? Tell us what the psychological component a, a, is. Everything. I mean, people, they, it's, it's, the people eat for the wrong reasons. Right. They so, so eat because they they're happy. They, they eat because they're more. sad. They eat because they're nervous. Emotional. They eat emotional eating. They eat to relieve stress. They, you know, there's, it's, it's people in this country have a very unhealthy relationship with food. So, um, you know, I think you, one thing I don't think is that you can just biohack yourself. I know you have a lot of those types of people on the show, but I really believe that you, there's a, a huge amount of data that needs to be considered on an end for an individual level. So somebody can't just go do the test on themselves and try to figure out what's going to work for them. They really have to work with somebody who can factor in all the variables and, and because genetics is hard because just because you have a genetic variant doesn't mean you will have the condition. There's a, a component of genetics called uh, penetration, you know, the penetrance of genes, how clinically relevant they really are. Mm -hmm. and, and so we're not there yet in knowing everything about it. So, um, but the company that I work with, you could definitely, they're actually a Canadian company, um, Neutrogenomics. Oh, well, there yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, finding a, a qualified healthcare practitioner to help you navigate that. But, you know, and, and there is a, the specialty of obesity medicine for people that are really struggling. Um, you know, it may be something, you know, I, I, a lot of my patients who are pre-diabetic or who have, you know, Hashimoto's disease, autoimmune diseases, there's different things that I can mm -hmm. do to help them. Um, so, you know, but I do think, uh, you know, a lot of people's challenges is just staying on a diet, whatever diet you choose, so, yes, like it can stay system. on it. And, and when you do too extreme, whatever extreme it is, it's much harder to stay on long-term. More from our guests, but first a few words from our sponsor. So if you're looking to make an impact with your online content, you need Issue. It is really the easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everywhere you want to be seen. 
Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute the most beautiful digital content from marketing materials to magazines to flip books and brochures and so much more. Issue also works seamlessly with the tools you already use like Canva and Dropbox. And really, it's for anybody who wants their content to stand out from creators, marketers, designers, and literally everybody in between. When I found out about Issue and downloaded it for the first time, I was hooked. I've been using it for, what, three or four months already, and I haven't looked back since, and I won't. Get started with Issue today for free, or if you sign up for a premium account, you will get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code HABITS. That's issue, I-S-S-U-U.com slash podcast and use a promo code habits at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue.com slash podcast with your promo code habits. And now to our next sponsor. So I've tried like every single omega-3 supplement brand on the market. And I have to tell you that Iwi is the best one I have ever had. And you know why? Because they have a secret and it's called algae. Did you know where fish even get their omega-3s from? It's algae. Who knew? That's why there's no nasty fish burps with iwi. And it's good for everybody, young or old, because it helps you with your heart and your brain and your vision and just your overall wellness. And it absorbs into your system better than anything else because of their patented formula that goes right into your bloodstream. It's it's amazing. And it's also plant-based. So there's no excuses. It's never too late or too early to start taking Iwi. Go to iwilife.com slash habits and use code habits to save 30% off your first purchase. Take advantage of this limited time offer today. That's iwilife.com, I-W-I-L-I-F-E.com slash habits, code habits for 30% off your first purchase. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Is it possible, like, you know how you, when you're working out, or you can, you can plateau because you're doing the same exercises over and over again, right? right? And your body right. doesn't change. Can you also food plateau? Like, if you're eating the same foods day in, day out, without any var- like variety, did your body get acclimated to that? And then therefore not really kind of shift or change? Well, so I'm not there. There's the short answer is first of all, you should have variety just to have a balanced nutrition. I mean, it depends on what you're, no, you could be like, yeah, I'm saying someone who's eating healthy, right. but yet like, you know, a, a couple of other, uh, doctors were, I think we were talking about this because, you know, you can, if you eat something too much, you end up having, um, you're not, you don't become allergic, but you be, you can, your body can become, what is the word? You're a doctor. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I, I, I'm not sure that that's actually been established scientifically. So that's not I something mean, that you think that happens. I, if I you're think, eating the same thing over I think and if over you're, again. If you're trying to lose oops, weight sorry. and you're doing that, yes, I do believe the body can become acclimated. But And 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 the thing that we... Or no, know, not just weight. I'm, I'm talking, they can plateau in the weight. But in general, like your body becomes so acclimated to the same foods, you're not giving it any variety. Is there any kind of downfall for that? 
Not that I'm aware of medically. And, okay. and, and frankly, most people eat a pretty narrow range of foods at the end of the day. Yeah. Like I know for me, I have almonds every day. I have the <laughs> same protein, you know, the whatever hemp seed protein bar every morning for breakfast. I have, I have a very narrow and, and you know what? Honestly, though, what the research does show is that having less choices is better yeah. because what I read a study once you have over, you make over 200 food and beverage related decisions every single day. If you're somebody that doesn't know a lot about it or struggles with their weight, what are the odds that you're going to make the right decision? Over 200 you times you there even, you know, people don't know as much as I do about, I mean, I've been doing this for 22 well, years I and mean, I still don't make always the best decisions. Well, you know, I make it, I, I bring up this point because I've been eating the same breakfast every single day for probably like 20 years. And people give me a hard, not everyone, but people give me a hard time about it because I'm so regimented. I think because, that's great. Cause I don't, I'm glad to hear it because I just don't want to think about it. Right. I want to literally not think about what I'm eating for breakfast. I want to have the same thing where my brain can focus on other yep. things and not make those mistakes I have you know I don't want to like veer to, to a pancake yeah no know? I and, and I feel but I, I I know how I'm going to feel I know I know exactly how my blood sugar mm -hmm. and energy level is going to respond if I go you know it's it's amazing to me if I go out for brunch or something like that and, and change things up in the morning it screws up my entire 100%, day 100 I'm it, the same it, way it, it and you know so no there there is no scientific reason why your body would adapt or become allergic it's the you know food is broken down into basic nutrients you know I'll tell amino you why, acids because, and you know because I would, I would I used to love green beans and I would eat them all the time and then like I have like I do have like eczema and so I went to see an allergy specialist and he said that now I've well, this was years ago that maybe I'm yeah, I was, I had like, I wasn't allergic to it. Like, you know, when you take those allergy tests and intolerant, you're not, yeah. intolerant, mm -hmm. that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. That I, maybe it was because I was eating so many green beans and so many of this that my body has become intolerant. So that's why I was kind of like, hmm, it's, a, I don't think so, but can that, that, that's where no, that whole, that's can, why that whole you conversation can have changes came from. in food tolerance based on, and this is an area of medicine that is more considered, you know, integrative, but mm. you could have, for example, if you have inflammation that causes, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I don't like to use the term leaky gut, but it's the easiest way of explaining it mm -hmm. because it's not really as, you know, that's a hot topic. Yeah. Now too. It's a hot topic. But so if you think about your gut, that one of the things the, the role is, it's kind of like a net and it needs to keep all the bad things out mm -hmm. right um so inflammation can help kind of loosen the net or make it askew so that uh, you know different food components could you know potentially be absorbed and trigger some sort of reaction like you're mm -hmm. and it can manifest in the skin it can manifest in the gut it can manifest so you know but but with green bean i mean i would think of that more with like proteins i mean that's what right. gluten is actually a, the protein in grains so exactly it doesn't make a lot of sense to me good but, you i'm know, glad I'm gonna i go think back to eating green one of beans. the things the more i have studied nutrition over the past 22 years the more i know the more i realize we don't know so you know i thought i knew everything 15 years ago now it's i never say never could it be true absolutely it could be true is there any evidence that i know of scientifically no well the pro thank you but the problem is too much 
much information. I mean, knowledge is power. I got it. But too much information becomes extremely confusing. So then let's start with the trends of diet. Especially when it's conflicting. <laughs> uh, well, and that's what a lot of it is, depending if you're following a social media influencer right. or this person, that person. Yeah. You know, you, you have to like be cognizant of who your sources are. Right. right. And just stay with those because to your point, when we, and I'm a big believer in this, you know, no diet is going to work if you kind of pepper, you know, you, you pick a few things from this diet, you pick a few things from that diet and you combine them, you combine them all together. Nothing's going to work. Um, but on that point, what do you believe, what do you think about intermittent fasting, about ketogenic diets? Like what is your take on, on that, those forms of so I, I actually, um, the, the obesity meeting last year did an entire symposium on intermittent fasting and they presented all the latest data. And I, I think, and I, I've been interviewed on this a lot. I think intermittent fasting is legit. I think it is, it is, you know, first of all, it's been done for thousands of years in, in places all over the world, but from a, um, health standpoint. So particularly for people who are pre-diabetic, it may have some unique benefits. The problem with intermittent fasting is that to do it correctly, the eating window needs to be 10 to 6. It, it, the, it, you know, if you're doing the 16, 8 fasting regimen where you eat for eight hours yeah. and then fast for 16. And there was actually a study presented at Obesity Week that if you move that window to 12 to 8 instead and you eat later, that actually it's worse for you. So, you know, one of the things that here's here's a sign for somebody who is not a nutrition expert, really, if they say calories in, calories out, and it's just that simple of an equation, then they don't actually know the latest science because we know that calories later in the evening are actually metabolized differently. They have a different impact on your metabolism. So, uh, and they count more. So, you know, it, it's saying it's as simple as calories in, but so the eating window for intermittent fasting, the correct one that all the research has been done showing the beneficial effects, um, particularly with prediabetes and heart disease is 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So, um, I think that's a viable approach. It's just hard for people not to eat after six. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are bored, they're letting down, they're relaxing for the day. So my patients that are really trying to do that, you know, they can have tea at night. This is where I bring in kind of the, mm -hmm. the flavored teas, the herbals, um, that's not going to keep them awake. Um, the ketogenic diet, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very good friends with one of the main guys, uh, Stephen Finney. I've known him for 20 years. He and, uh, Dr. Jeff are like the big keto guys. They've been doing this for over 20 years because I met him in a previous life when I was with a startup doing um, breath diagnostics and we were looking at looking at ketones in the breath through infrared spectroscopy. I'm doing that right now um, with a new company. Yeah. Have you so, heard of this thing? You breathe into it and it tells you your metabolism. Yeah, that's different. That's oh, different. Okay, but okay. I have one of those machines in my office, by the way, that measures resting metabolic rate through yeah, um, yeah. CO2. Output. Yeah. Anyways. So, um, no, do you like that machine? Yeah, I mean, okay. I think it's interesting. You have to do it correctly. I have, I don't know which handheld you're doing. It's probably not as accurate, but, um, but it's still it's brand new. I'll tell you about yeah. it afterwards. Yeah. Um, so I'll report back on with, that once I kind of become like more of a maven on it. Oh, okay, perfect. So with the ketogenic diet, listen, um, there is, there is no question that it's effective for weight loss. There, mm -hmm. there's really no question about it. My issue is a, 
I don't think it's livable long-term, although people do, and there's healthier ways of doing it. And I also have very, very significant concerns about the long-term impact, 20 years of having so much high-fat red meat on the incidence of colon cancer, because that's something that we know. I mean, it is pretty clear. Lack of fiber and excess, you know, red meat, particularly processed red meat, but can really lead to colon cancer. So I have, and I'm not convinced yet that it's not deleterious to the heart, right? I'm not, it just, and now if you lose weight, the benefits of weight loss in terms of cholesterol, it may be a wash, but you know, I just, there are, it's an interesting approach. I think you can do a healthier ketogenic diet more. I mean, of integrating more things like avocado and olive oil, and that's great. But I do have concerns about having, you know, a lot of high fat animal protein over a 20 year duration. And if they tell me, you know, if a keto expert said, well, how can you back that up? I can't because guess what? 20 year cancer nutrition studies are almost impossible to do. So I will never be able to tell you for sure, because how do you, how do you follow what somebody eats over 20 years? I can't even keep track for a week. I forget what I ate yesterday. So, you know, these, that's one of the challenges with nutrition research. So, you know, I think if you want to use it as a kickstart to a diet plan, you know, if you want to do, you know, I I think that can work. I like to see a healthier keto if possible, Um, you know, but in terms of a long term diet for Mm -hmm. health, it's, you know, not at the top of my list. That would be the understatement. Okay, understatement. uh, How about carb cycling, right? So to kind of kind of kind of mix up your what your body's normally accustomed to. So you eat you know, yeah. whatever way you're doing. And then one day a week, you're really doing high, like high carbs yeah. to kind of, you know, I actually really like that concept. I do. And and that's something that I do find um, that patients in terms of weight loss, they do, if they're having the same macronutrient ratio right. every single day, uh, you know, I, I Your think body becomes acclimated it, on, uh, to some extent. And, and, it, but it's also, you know, I think, uh, it just, it also helps with compliance because it makes things more interesting. You can change things up. Mm. So again, psychologically, if I know that on Saturday, you know, I'm going to have whatever sweet potato fries are my favorite carb. You know, I don't, I'm not a bread person or pasta, but sweet potato fries, forget about it. So, you know, but if I mentally know that I'm going to have that, you don't have the deprivation mentality and feel like you, and um, there was actually a really successful book. I'm going to look as if I'm promoting other people's books, but <laughs> this, uh, this dietitian wrote it called the fast metabolism diet where she changed up what she did. I mean, she positioned it differently, but basically she was changing up the macros every day. So one day you would do no carb, high protein. One day is more Mediterranean, which is more balanced. Yes. One day, and, and I think it's very, it's very, very common in the fitness space. That, yeah. I mean, we, people do, we talk about this all the time. Right. It's, I don't, that book, there's a lot of people who do that because it does, it just shocks your system from doing the same thing over and over again. Just right. tell when you work out, you don't want to do the same thing right. over and over again. Your body becomes acclimated. Right. I think that has definitely the macros has more legs than the actual foods mm. causing some like get a value right, right, right. allergy to green beans doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, we're, we're not cars. You can't put in the same amount of gas, the 93 whatever right. gas and go the same distance every single day. So, you know, having and I do feel like, you know, the human body is not designed to lose weight. We are evolutionary 
primarily right. created to hold on to weight. So you do have to kind of trick your body a little bit because it's especially for women, especially for women of childbearing age, because our genetic, everything is designed for us to hold fat so we can carry a baby during the famine. Like there's ever going to be a famine again, but in some parts of the world there are, but so it's not an evolutionarily favorable trait to be naturally skinny when it comes to genetics. So I I think tricking your body, I love, I love the idea of, of carb cycling and, you know, changing things up and doing different things on different days. And I also talk to patients a lot about fueling your workouts. Like I, I, people forget that food is fuel. So how am I going to fuel your body to help you perform best and optimize the body composition changes from whatever workout you do? And and so that, I, I think that's a really great point that, you know, people can, and even if you, you don't hire somebody, a professional, you can mm-hmm. play around with it. And, and, but carbs are fuel. So if you're doing a long cardio day, if you're doing a spinning class, you need carbs, you know, you yeah. to protect your muscle to be utilized as a fuel source, unless you're fully carb adapted because you're keto and that's different. Right. Or, or metabolically adapted, flexible, which right. is the other. Well, metabolic, yeah. Metabolic flexibility is a big, it's a new marker of yeah. people that are healthier, you know, and, and don't have insulin resistance, which is tied to inflammation, which can be reduced by spices. We're tying everything back. Exactly. And All these, fulvic acid. And Let's fulvic. talk about fulvic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, what, what do you know about fulvic? So fulvic, we both are fans of this uh, water, BLK, which is has a lot of health benefits. It has fulvic acid. You're the doctor. What are those benefits? Yeah. Fulvic acid is, you know, before I was turned on to this brand, I, I had never heard of it, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. And, and I have heard of most things in nutrition, but I immediately called my colleague, who's the head of human nutrition at UCLA. And I, you know, she's an MD, PhD. So she's got an extra degree on me. So I defer to her. <laughs> um, but, and she, you know, she said, of course I know fulvic acid. It's been used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. So then, you know, I, I started looking into it and, and what the company even didn't realize is that Fulvic acid is actually a polyphenol and there are thousands of papers on the bed and it polyphenol just means the the biochemical structure so it has a ring with oxygens on it and fulvic is very unique because it's a very small molecular weight compound but it's able to hold a lot of oxygen and um, also trace minerals and it's able to deliver them directly to the cell. So it's able because of its size to pass through the cell membrane and basically microdose your cell with all the important minerals um, and electrolytes that your mitochondria and everything else needs to function optimally. So this is truly, it's from the, you know, it's from the earth. It's from, it's produced over thousands of years from microbial degradation of organic matter. That's a really big way of saying, you know, uh, bugs are digesting plants, dead plants, <laughs> essentially. Um, but in it, and it's, it, it's like, it, to me, what's so interesting about it is it really can help compensate for the deterioration in soil quality that we've seen in this country. So having something like fulvic that is so nutrient dense, it's a very, because it holds so much oxygen too, it's a very, very powerful antioxidant. And it's also a strong chelator. So it can actually pull toxins out of the cell. So, you know, antioxidants, so help the cell with all the um, oxidative stress mm-hmm. that it's under, but also removing some of the toxic byproducts of metabolism and different things. So it has a really unique 
one-two punch to it. Plus, research has shown that it actually helps support the flora in your gut. The microbiome is really hot right now. Every polyphenol can actually function as a prebiotic. And I talk about this in my book, Spice Up Live Long, um, that all spices and herbs are considered prebiotic. Prebiotics are actually even more important than probiotics in terms, because what people don't understand is that probiotics don't actually colonize your digestive system. They actually pass through and cause changes to the genetics of the bacteria in your gut. So they're not actually, uh, people think, oh, I'm taking this probiotic and it's like, I don't know what they think, but um, it's not actually sorry. adhering. Whoop, it's not actually sorry, Siri. Um, it's not actually adhering to your gut wall. It's inducing changes in the flora that already exists mm. in your gut. And prebiotics do that even more effectively. Where do you what, what, what would be a prebiotic? Give us uh, an example. Most uh, most foods with fiber. Not okay. all not all fibers are prebiotics, but all prebiotics are considered fiber. So name some of the so, name some. I mean, you know, any I mean the big ones are like they always talk about Jerusalem artichoke as being one of the most powerful sources. I don't even know what that is. Oh, I love those. You don't, you don't know what a Jerusalem artichoke is? I told you is? I'm clueless in the kitchen. Oh my god. But, there are artichoke hearts. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. Anything. I mean, there's any component of beans, all the polyphenols. I mean, beans, anything with fiber in it is probably going to have some degree of prebiotic fiber. Okay. And then the other, yeah, what is with that watch and, and prebiotic? Yeah. So I'll also, but isn't probiotic very specific to who you are? Like everyone's taking these probi- um, probiotics, but it depends on what kind of bacteria or, or good bacteria, bad bacteria right. you have in your body. So, so it's, there's two answers to that question. Number one is the probe. There is something called strain specificity to probiotics. So not all probiotic strains do the same thing. And so they, they function like there's some that support digestive health. There's some that support immune function. There's some that support vaginal health. There are some that support that are good for antibiotic associated diarrhea or C. difficile or something like that. So first of all, there's strain specificity. So you can't just, oh, I'm just taking a probiotic and it's going to be fine. You have to know what you're taking it for if you're not just, if you're taking it for something specific. Um, The second thing is, yes, we have a tremendous amount of And this is the second part of precision nutrition that I personally am not as focused on because I find the genetics more exciting and interesting. But there's a lot of prolific researchers in the United States where there is a tremendous amount of of diversity in the gut. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, uh, from one person to another, based on environments, based on genetics, based on exposures, based on illnesses, you can have changes in your microbiome, which is kind of the overriding term. So it's a complicated area, but it is very individualized, but you can be pretty certain that, you know, if you're eating a a balanced diet, rich in fiber, any fiber foods, so nuts and seeds and, you know, fruits and vegetables. I don't think, unlike, I, I do disagree with a lot of dietitians and doctors. I don't think you have to have whole grains to be healthy. I think there's a lot of things that whole grains are associated with, but I'm not convinced that just having nuts and seeds and vegetables and, uh, you know, fruit can't be equally effective in terms of the, what people attribute the benefits of whole grains. So I'm a little contrarian in that way because the traditional dietitians are like, well, whole grains are a part of any diet. I don't need a lot of grains. I eat beans when mm-hmm. I can, uh, for fiber. I eat sweet potatoes. I eat nuts and seeds. 
I, I don't, I don't, I feel like I, I gain weight very easily when I eat too many grains, whether they're whole or not. Yeah, me so too. I'd rather just, you How about know. from nuts though? I, I, I gain weight very easily from eating too many grains, but I also gain weight from nuts because how do you just eat like, you know, a, a little palm? You know how? Yeah, how? There's two. I know, I have just two portion it. I know, portion it. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear no, this portion no. thing. I buy the 100 calorie packs. Yeah, I know. I have those two and then I eat seven packs. Well, that's then, what I do. So, so here's what I tell patients. And that's I wish I, I had my plastic food models because I literally show patients this in the office. What you have to understand about nuts is uh, is a concept called en energy density. Okay. Yes. So calorie density. So nuts are a very energy dense food because they have no water whatsoever. Right. So what I tell my patients is never eat nuts alone. Always combine mm. them with a high volume food, a water-based food or a fiber-based food or better yet both so that you get the volume. So satiety or fullness is based on two, well, multiple different things, but actual physical distension of the stomach is one of them. So if you, it, I always tell people, this is one of the fundamental things that I do for nutrition and weight loss is helping people with the energy density of their diet and always combining. So I would never have you eat nuts alone. I, I, I eat nuts and an apple or nuts and carrots or nuts and yogurt or nuts and never nuts alone because it's too calorie dense and it's not going to, it's not going to make you full enough, fast enough to account for the calories. That's like, well, thank you for saying that because that's my problem. So everyone's like, oh, eat nuts, eat nuts, don't eat so much fruit. So what, that's what happened. I bought a bunch of these boxes of these hundred calorie bags and I ate the entire box, which was, I think 10, actually a thousand calories in this, in maybe three and a half minutes because it's fast. It's like, oh, da, da, da. three and a half minutes. Well, that's a whole nother I, conversation. I maybe we fast. should talk about the eating cadence. Yeah, it's, it's, you know. it's, it's, that is a whole other podcast. Right. But I mean, the thing is about that is they're delicious and they're very salty. So, or if you even eat the raw, I'll eat that too yeah. fast. But they're like chips to me yeah. because it's like the crunchiness. Now, do you still, I'm mean, like, this has been, of course, talked about in your book also everywhere, almonds, almonds and, and walnuts. Is there any other nut or seed that all just is equally or better than yes, those? Yes, okay, yes. Go I, tell I, us. I love all, I, love, I don't like walnuts. I don't like the flavor. I mean, they say they're a rich source in omega-3 fatty well, acids, yes. but they're a different type of omega-3 fatty acid than you get from fish. So I don't think you need walnuts. Um, pistachios are incredible. There's a lot of good mm. research. And if you think about health, think about color. So the green yeah. of pistachios, it tells you that that has a different type of antioxidant. There's been some great research done on pistachios. Chia seeds trump all of them. If there's yeah. one, yeah. But they, it's not for taste. I put them in yogurt. Yes. I bake with them. I put them in pancakes for my kids. They are high in protein and, your kids and eat fiber. It. I've tried that with those tricks and they they figure it out pretty quickly. What do you mean? How do they figure out they, a few flaxseed with kids chocolate find chips? Out. Yes, they look and you they can, pick it out. Uh, I'm How not, do you pick out a, a they pick I'm telling you, you my children. Pick out a chia seed. I kid you not, I would try to make I make the shakes, I make pancakes, and I try to trick them with putting the flax seeds or the chia seeds, and it goes it goes in the garbage. Okay, I'm gonna make your kids. You're not even muffins. a you're not even a I, The only thing that I do is bake muffins. I'm really good at baking okay. muffins. In fact, Fine, 15 fair. years ago I wanted to start a Dr. Molina's muffins business, but I actually the, remember uh, that. Yeah, it was <laughs> that was like my passion. I had a protein bar company, but I wanted I always wanted to do muffins. I totally yeah. remember that. Yeah. Oh my God, it's hilarious. Um, so I, I will get your, but I, I think um, chia seed are fantastic. Pumpkin seeds, people yeah, forget about delicious. those. They're yeah. delicious. They taste great on a salad. Yeah, I mean, that's a you good can, one. You, 
easy one. Sunflower seeds. Yeah. Remember? I mean, whoever taught, they're not sexy, but they're, they taste great. They're super healthy. So who says they're not sexy? I think they're really sunflower sexy. Sunflower seeds. Actually, maybe they're due but... for a comeback. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think they really are. I'm going to bring them back. I think I'm going to bring them back. But actually the, the nuts and seeds are the, uh, I have like eight longevity foods in my book and nuts and seeds are one of them. And I yeah. do think they need to be incorporated uh, every day, if possible, because they, there's just so many potential health benefits. And when you look at the research, they are, even though they're super high in calories, they are not associated with weight gain because you know what? They have fiber and the fiber at least slows you down a little bit and mm-hmm. calorically impairs a little bit with the, uh, you know, absorption of calories. But, but you're um, saying eating the combination of like having nuts with an apple or right, carrots, eat, like have it, the com- like or do don't combos. eat seeds alone. Have, you know, don't eat a handful of sunflower seeds, have two tablespoons on a salad. You know what right. I mean? Because you will never get full. Like pumpkin seeds, you'd have to eat like a bushel. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, so it's portion control is really uh, important, but building it in so you don't have to think about it. Just like you don't think about breakfast at all. You just do it. You just have this stuff built in to where it's automatic. You're just putting two tablespoons of whatever uh, on on a salad or yeah. a yogurt or whatever. Like I, I love doing like slivered almonds and yogurt. Yeah. I, that's, you know, and that I is also delicious. do chia, but you don't, she has no taste, but I had a patient actually, she lowered her cholesterol 50 points just from including chia seeds in her breakfast every morning, two tablespoons a day, lowered her cholesterol 50 points because they're so high in a type of fiber, a a viscous fiber, it's called soluble fiber. So actually that's how you form the chia puddings and stuff. If you just add water and it forms a gel, well, guess what? That same gel that's formed actually decreases the absorption Mm. of cholesterol and also helps uh, your blood sugar go up less quickly. So it has applications for people with, you know, blood sugar issues as well. That's actually, that's good to know. I was going to actually ask you, I've got a couple of, of foods here that I wanted to ask you. Number one, eggs with the, with the yolk. Is it, is it, does it cause cholesterol? Did it, does it make your cholesterol higher? Does it not? There's such, there's such like, there's such like misinformation yeah. if eggs are good or bad for your cholesterol. So with you know the what yolk, the answer is? What? Genetics. There are, there's a mm. subset of people, and this is why the research has been so confusing over the work, over the years in terms of eggs. So the, the bottom line is though, is mm. that eggs, having an egg a day with the yolk is absolutely fine for the majority of people, maybe even more. There's a small subset. And by the way, the yolk has a very important micronutrient called mm-hmm. choline that many people are not getting enough of. And, and particularly for women who are like trying to get pregnant, it's very important in fetal brain development. Um, but so I, I really, I, I, and, and by the way, fat also gives you a little bit of satiety, but what we do know now but just is the that cholesterol thing, the no. cholesterol, what we know is that the cholesterol in food, mm-hmm. which eggs and shrimp are very high, are actually not con- Converted into cholesterol in your blood. Interesting. Saturated fat and sugar are more, you know, deleterious when it comes to cholesterol levels. So having a lot of saturated fat and, you know, this is saturated fat has been vilified. Maybe there's, there's so many nuances to that. Don't even get me started, but, um, you know, sugar is, is, you know, really an issue too. And it it is not the cholesterol in eggs and shrimp that is, you know, causing high cholesterol in the majority of people. Okay. So I wanted to ask you one more thing about food and then we can wrap this pretty soon. Oat milk, because oat milk has become so popular. It's such a trend. And, you know, you look at the, like the fact, the nutritional facts, and there's so much sugar, carbs. I mean, what happened to, you know, almond milk or even 
cashew milk or coconut milk. Well, I mean, so first of all, none of those are actually milk. They're all almond milk, beverage, coconut milk, right, beverage, because right. they're actually not. Well, you can they, make your own, but oat right. milk has become extremely right. popular. And it only has, I mean, you know, I think, I, I believe you can get varieties without added sugar. I'm not sure what it, just like with almond milk, you can get everything without added sugar. If you're looking at just carbs, oats are a carb, so you're right. not going to get around that, but, but they also have fiber. They have, and they have the same sort of sticky fiber, that soluble fiber. Okay. So let me that, rephrase this question. Do you, what do you, what is, what are your, what's your take on oat milk? Do you think it's healthy or not healthy? I think it's, uh, I think it's, Fine. I, I, I think it's, it's a, I believe it's a matter of personal preference. I mean, for, for somebody who's diabetic, you know, I, I'm not sure that they've got to add something to the fiber, um, to not make it form a gel. So I'm not sure that it would be as effective for a diabetic and it may be a, a heavier carbohydrate load than I would like. Um, but people think, I guess the point is people think they're doing them, they're doing themselves a, like a, a service, like they're right. being healthier by having oat milk versus having almond milk or having regular milk. I mean, okay. If they're lactose intolerant, regular milk that. is a whole different that's a whole, that's conversation, right. so let's like, I, I think that they one. all have different benefits. Benefits. And I think what's I the tell, benefit of oat milk versus almond milk? I mean, it, it's less well, protein, less, more sugar. I mean, if you're, if you're doing it, like, let me just say hypothetically, if you're doing it in a pre-workout smoothie, you want carbs that your body can actually utilize as fuel. If you, you know, almond milk is just, you know, a few almonds and water, basically. Coconut milk is, and coconut milk, I just did an interview on this one actually, because it has a type of fat in it called medium chain triglycerides, which actually are better for the metabolism, but it's in such trace amounts that it's not really clinically right. relevant. So I tell patients, go have whatever milk you want. Don't think that it's, don't think that any of these milk alternatives are a source of protein. That's a common mistake. My patients will be like, oh yeah, I had protein for breakfast. I put almond milk. No. That's not protein for breakfast. Right. You know, the dairy milk and soy milk are the only two that are actually decent source of high quality protein, which I also talk a lot in the book. Quality matters and it matters even more as you get older in terms of, uh, you know, mm. aging gracefully and preserving lean body mass because your ability to absorb protein from the digestive system um, decreases with age and also your ability to build and uh, repair muscle uh, starts to, you know, wane as you age. So you, you need those high quality proteins that have all the amino acids to make sure that that's optimized mm. and it becomes really more important the older you get. I think over the age, so right about now, I'm 51, I got to start paying more. No, I think <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, I, I think it's a, I don't think any of them, any of the uh, beverages should have a health halo, um, but they're not unhealthy. It's not like, uh, you know, soda or juice, you know, okay, okay. not so sugar water. It's, I definitely wouldn't call it that. All right, one more, and then we got to wrap it up. Okay. Soy for for females, breast that, cancer. Does it cause breast cancer? Does it, it cause cancer? Okay, so no, no. It so you have to understand studies that have done with minimally processed soy are seem to be protective in most. Unless there are this, it's a very you can't just we can't. I know. I can't on that. <laughs> that is such a nuanced, challenging question. Um, know, if you have, you know, there is theoretically, if you have an estrogen receptor positive, you know, cancer, um, you know, but, uh, 
minimally processed soy is always going to be better for you, like tofu and edamame and things like that, then all, so I definitely would not be doing the soy protein shakes and soy bars and all that stuff if you were concerned about. I, I just think those highly processed foods aren't good for anybody. The less processed things are, the better. But right. it's, it's, you know, when they look at populations like in Asia that eat a lot of soy, not, you know, processed bars, but right. actual soy, they have not been associated with higher incidence of breast cancer. All right. So that was a loaded question. It was uh, very loaded. I know. Yeah, you I'm can, sorry. At the end, it's okay. I'm sorry. Okay. So you, you, you're like I said, I can talk for, I can sit here and talk to you for hours. Um, and well, I'll have you back because like I, I have a hundred more questions for you. Uh, but in the meantime, how do people find you if they want to know more? And um, guys, her book is called Spice Up, Live Long. There's tons of just great information like we were talking about, about lots of different spices and, and ways to live longer and help with, you know, fighting or not or preventing cancer, diabetes, stroke, and the list goes on and on. Uh, and there's great recipes in the book. And I there's a lot of chef from the Soho <laughs> House in West Hollywood to do my recipes. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So he's Aaron Robbins is a really talented chef. Yeah. And he did. Uh, so even if, if you're not a cook like me, you'll enjoy the book because you can just add, you know, oregano to your eggs. But if you are a cook, there's some incredible recipes in this book too. Yeah, there's like a lot, like half of the book is recipes, basically. Yeah, half the book is recipes. Um, so tell us where to find yeah, you. Yeah, so you can, I mean, I have a website. I'm, you know, not as good as you are at updating it, <laughs> drmelina.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram, kind of, uh, <laughs> as Dr. Melina and Facebook. I'm more into, fa I'm old, so I'm still like the Facebook, Dr. Melina, but everything is Dr. Melina. And you can also find her on uh, Kelly and what is this new show? It's always changing the name. Live. I just live. call it live. Yeah. Live, live with Kelly and Ryan. Yeah, yeah. live with Kelly and Ryan because I feel like you're always on there. And you were on The Doctors for a while too, a lot. And are you still doing that show too? They moved to the East Coast. So oh. yeah, I haven't been doing it as much. But um, yeah, and yeah. Then, uh, every once in a while on CNN, if there's a good good story, I'll come in. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you've been great. And like I said, you're the real deal. You have a lot of information. You really, you, you research and you take this stuff super seriously which i really appreciate so thank you for coming on thank you for having me habits and hustle time to get it rolling stay up on the grind don't stop keep it going habits and hustle from nothing into something all out hosted by jennifer cohen visionaries tune in you can get to know them be inspired this is your moment excuses we ain't having that the habits and hustle podcast powered by habit nest This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. 
Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.